They say that no news is good news, and that is certainly true today. The Supreme Court was asked by abortion supporters to block a Texas pro-life law, and the court did nothing, which is the best thing it could have done, because that means that today, for the first time since 1973, there is a state in this country in which abortion is effectively illegal. This is wonderful, wonderful news. It could potentially, though don't get your hopes up, but it could potentially lead to the overturn of Roe v. Wade, in large part because of the clever way the law was written. Now the libs are losing it. They're crying, they're screaming, they're fear-mongering, they're making really, really dumb arguments in favor of killing babies in the womb. Meanwhile, on the topic of dehumanization, prominent libs want to keep the unvaccinated out of hospitals. The American people, though, I think have had enough. If one poll is to be believed right now, most Americans even think Joe Biden should resign. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Jacqueline Twerd, who said, classrooms shouldn't be like a teacher's home where they can hang whatever ridiculous stuff I'll clean it up. Whatever ridiculous stuff they feel like. Whatever happened to the times tables and the alphabet? Thank you. Yes, these teachers who are hanging the pride progress flag or the Antifa flag even, they seem to think that the classroom is just their fiefdom in which they can do whatever they want. And and in part, this is because of a misguided understanding of uh, what is called academic freedom that now even the right uh, defends. The left kind of pushed it, but even the right defends it. And it's just completely preposterous. The third grade classroom is not a free marketplace of ideas and it never has been, and it should not be, and it never will be. It's, it's a place to teach kids basics. So I absolutely agree with your point. I wish not only the left, but conservatives would wake up, wish they could hear the truth. And if you want to hear the truth, if you want to hear just good music, I'd recommend checking out your Raycons. I love Raycons. They are a better product than some of the other brands on the market. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be nice about it, but you know, look, Raycons, they don't have the little stems sticking out. So you don't look like a bug. They don't, uh, only come in one color. They come in a lot of cool, stylish colors. Great fit of their gel tips for your comfort. They sound better. They work better. They've got a 32 hour battery life. I love my Raycons. Okay. And especially when my sweet little baby starts crying, you know, whether I'm in the house, maybe we're on a plane or in the car. It's nice to know that I can just pop in my Raycons and have a nice little bit of peace and quiet. They're really great. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. They actually sound better if you ask me. Raycons comes with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try. You will see what I mean. Great way to listen to really good audiobooks like Speechless. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon right now. My listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Knowles. That's buyraycon.com slash Knowles. Save 15% on Raycons. You're going to love them. Tell me how much you love them. Buyraycon.com slash Knowles. This Texas law is magnificent. So the court decision was 5-4 because, of course, Chief Justice John Roberts sided with the libs. And the decision was not over the constitutionality of the law. The decision was whether or not to grant abortionists in Texas, a special emergency uh, halting of the, of the new pro-life law. So thankfully, the five, at least sort of conservative justices, Thomas, Thomas certainly conservative, Alito, certainly conservative, Gorsuch, a little squishier, Kavanaugh, a, little, a lot squishier, and Amy Barrett, a lot squishier, but all five of them, to their great credit, 
voted in favor of allowing the Texas law to go into effect. This is a very, very important decision. And then you had the three libs, really the four libs, because Chief Justice John Roberts was there, and he, he voted to, to stop the law. One small point on John Roberts before we get into what this law actually does. John Roberts' whole purpose, I believe, is that he wants to maintain the institutional credibility of the court because he's the chief justice. So he has a responsibility not just to the decisions, but also to the institution itself. And so I think what John Roberts is trying to do here is seem that he's above politics because he will often vote with the, the liberals. Ironically, though, what, what the effect of his machinations had been is to make the court seem much, much more party political, to make the court, court seem much less principled. He, he has ironically destroyed the institutional credibility of the court because he's very clearly just picking his side based on the poll numbers, based on the politics, based on what he thinks will be able to placate the people rather than upholding some kind of constitutional principle. But the principle upheld, at least in this decision, the Texas law, which was passed in May, bans all abortions in the state after around six weeks of pregnancy. The law is not based on some arbitrary timetable, you know, six weeks in one day and it's a human being, but six weeks minus one day, you know, five weeks and six days and it, it's actually not a human being. Uh, the, the law is based on when you can detect a heartbeat and you can detect a heartbeat very early because these are human beings. So because a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks, the law effectively makes abortion illegal. Now, how does this law operate? There have been plenty of heartbeat bills and they've been struck down by various courts. So what makes this, this law a little different? The law allows private citizens to sue abortionists and anyone else who helps a woman to obtain an abortion, including some sicko dude who gives the woman a ride to the clinic or provides financial assistance for the abortion. The citizens can bring these suits even if they don't have any connection to the people that they are suing beyond their relationship as citizens. If they win in the lawsuits, the law entitles them to a minimum of $10,000 in damages plus attorney's fees. So this is really providing an incentive or a disincentive for the abortionists and for the various ghouls who help out in this process. We haven't seen laws like this before. And it makes it a little bit harder for the courts to strike it down. It's a brilliant, brilliant law, and I'm very glad that it's in effect. The White House is, is furious. They're really, really upset that, that babies will live. There will be babies today who are not murdered in the state of Texas. There will be babies today who will go on and have a long life. And in 10 and 20 years, you'll be able to talk to these babies who are alive because this law is in effect. And the White House is furious about it. They consider it an extreme threat. And abortion. Um, we've seen in a number of states, Republican-led states, an effort on voting rights, for instance, to pass similar legislation throughout the country uh, on voting rights. What's the level of concern at the White House that the decision on Texas specifically will lead to a similar raft of laws across the country? And what is the recourse for the White House at a federal level to help prevent this? Well, the step that can be taken is for the is the codification of Roe, something the president, the vice president, have called for and would require Congress to act on. Uh, I will note that certainly we've seen this is not the first threat to Roe we've seen in a state across the country. It's an extreme threat, and again, I would just note this is offering up to ten thousand dollars to individuals who report someone who is going to get an abortion. I mean, that is what we're talking about here. So, and and beyond that, as I've already outlined, based. 
<laughs> to use the lingo of the kids, based, awesome, great, love it. It's a, this is a great, great way. By the way, you're going to hear that this, this law is punishing women. It's going to throw women in jail. It's not. It's not. You're not. You don't get to sue the women. You sue the abortionists and you sue the little minions of the abortionist and you sue all the people and the, the cads and the degenerate men paying for the abortions. You get to sue all of them. Those are the people who are targeted here. And it is an extreme threat to Roe versus Wade. What, what Jen Psaki is admitting here, by the way, is that Roe versus Wade is a ridiculous decision. That's her admission. When she is asked by this leftist activist reporter, saying, how do we stop it? How do we stop it? He's like, she says, well, what we have to do is codify Roe versus Wade into law. Why do we have to codify Roe versus Wade into law? Because it's a weak decision. There is no constitutional right to an abortion. Even if you're the strongest abortion supporter in the world, it just isn't there. It just doesn't exist. And, and even the intellectual and the intellectually honest leftists who support abortion and look at Roe versus Wade, they will tell you the case does not have very much constitutional merit. And so now they're saying we need to codify it into law. You have to codify it into law because it's a ridiculous decision. And if there is justice, even a little bit of justice in this world, it ought to be overturned. CNN freaking out about this. They've brought on their chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey Tubin has a, a lot of personal expertise on creepy sex questions. As you will recall, he lost one of his jobs uh, some months ago because he was caught um, having sex with someone he loves on camera on a Zoom meeting with his colleagues. Uh, so uh, Jeffrey Tubin, but and that that event involved one person uh, other than the spectators. So Jeffrey Tubin is back on CNN, and Jeffrey Tubin, often like I do on this show, <laughs> we don't do that. We don't have that in common. But <laughs> one thing we do have in common is that occasionally on air we will say, I told you so. And Jeffrey Tubin did tell you so when it came to Roe versus Wade. Donald Trump ran for president saying, I will appoint justices to the Supreme Court who will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. He has three appointees on the court. There are three other appointees on the court, uh, Samuel Alito, uh, uh, Clarence, uh, Thomas. Clarence Thomas, and, uh, John Roberts. And, and John Roberts, who have spoken out against Roe v. Wade before, although Roberts has later said he supports the precedent. But there are five justices, it appears, the three uh, 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 Trump appointees, plus, uh, there they are on the screen, plus Thomas and Alito, who seem like solid votes to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, th we've been accused, those of us who have been saying that Roe is about to be overturned as being chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, We'll see, because it certainly looks like the sky is falling now. The sky is falling because fewer babies will be killed in Texas. Don't forget, you're, you're going to be told that women have a right. They have a sacred, constitutional, natural right to kill their children. They don't. They don't. They don't have that right. But you're going to be told, only focus on this. Only focus on the poor abortionist who's just trying to scrape by and feed his family by by committing infanticide at Planned Parenthood. Just think about him. Don't forget, this involves a baby. And that's not just an abstract. It's not just a hypothetical. There will be babies who are permitted to live because of this law. And you will have to look them in the eye, <laughs> at least on camera. You'll, they'll look at you and you'll see them. And you will have to explain, at least to yourself, why you think that it would be better if they were killed why you think that it's wrong that they were permitted to live. 
Jeffrey Tubin's going to have to do that. But Jeffrey Tubin is an abortion supporter, not just in theory. He tried to pay off his mistress to kill his child and his mistress wouldn't do it. And now he's got the child and he's going to have to look that kid in the eye someday if he has a relationship with that kid and explain why he tried to kill that baby and why he still supports the, the, the right, quote unquote, of people to kill babies just like him all over the country. Now, if you want to get a real accounting of what's going on, okay, not just in politics, but in your finances, you're going to want to check out Truebill. If you're anything like me, you've started a bunch of free trials that you forgot to cancel. Now, sometimes a free trial is great and you stick with the service and that's cool. A lot of times it's just a scam and you do the free trial and then you, you never cancel it and then you end up paying a ton of money needlessly. Do not let greedy corporations take money that you don't need to spend. Truebill will let you take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, that you don't want, or that you just forgot about. On average, people have saved up to $720 a year with Truebill. That's a lot of money. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to do it. They got 2 million users. They've helped people save over $100 million. Do it right now. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Knowles. That's Truebill.com slash Knowles. It'll save you potentially $1,000, more than $1,000 a year. Truebill.com slash Knowles. CNN's legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin is really upset about the new Texas pro-life law. Because he supports the abstract right to abortion and also because he has tried to pay to procure abortions himself. According to this law, if he, if he did what he has done in Texas, he could be sued for at least $10,000 plus attorney fees. So he's got a real personal interest here in making sure that these babies don't get to live. And now he's going after the court. He's trying to sway the court. And so he goes on television and he says, look, the institutional reputation of the court is at stake here. Here we are on September 1st, the first day since 1973 when a state has been able to ban abortion. 1973 is the year of Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court has said nothing. They have allowed the second most famous opinion of the last hundred years after Brown v. Board of Education to essentially be violated, be, be overrun, but they haven't even said a word about it, which strikes me as a real blow against the Supreme Court's institutional reputation, aside from the issue of whether this law is right or wrong. A real blow against the Supreme Court's reputation, regardless of whether the law is right or wrong. I don't think that's true. You know what I think was a blow against the Supreme Court's reputation? Roe versus Wade. I think Roe v. Wade was a huge blow against the court's reputation because it showed that the court was nothing more than a, a partisan political lawmaking body rather than a, a judiciary. I think that aside from the issue of whether you think abortion is right or wrong, I think we all should be able to admit Roe versus Wade was the attack on the court's reputation. And they can either make that right now or they can persist in error and humiliation and degradation of the court. There's a woman, some Brooklyn chick who's apparently a medical doctor. Her name is Dara Cass. And she, I think she shows you some of the hysteria you're going to see from the left media on this issue. She tweeted out, get on birth control now. Any form that is reliable, oral contraceptives, NuvaRing, Norplant, IUD, something now. Now, hurry. So what she's admitting here 
is that the left uses abortion as birth control, as contraception. But it's obviously not contraception because the baby is conceived and then they just kill it. What she's admitting is there are a lot of leftists who are so cavalier about abortion, about killing babies, that they don't even, they won't even put on a condom. They won't even, they won't, that's all right, we'll just deal with it later with abortion. The left tells us they don't do that, but then she's just admitted they do. Beyond that point, beyond that point. Get on birth control now, anything, oral cut, ring, IUD, do something. I, I've, got, I've got another idea. How about you just have babies like they do in normal civilizations that are not dying? How about you just do that? I know this is a crazy radical idea. How about you just like ha- be open to life and have babies and actually fully give of your love to another person and then make your life better by having a baby? A lot of people can't have babies. It's a hard thing. There are a lot of people who struggle with infertility, okay? Who would, who would give their limbs, who would cut off an arm, at least, to have a baby. And this cavalier woman. You know, we are a dying civilization. I'm, I mean that in a very technical way. We, we are not having enough <laughs> children to continue as a civilization. And this has been true for decades now, and it seems to be getting worse and worse each year. And other civilizations are having babies because they're lively, and we're dying, and we're decayed, and something's gone really rotten within us which is how you get creepy statements like this. This woman goes on, she goes, if you find out you're pregnant and do not want to be, you have very little time to do it. Do not shut down. This will be hard, but you can't delay. Call me. We will figure this out together. What a psycho. This woman is saying, call me and I will kill your child. This is what demons sound like. Okay. This is, if you want to know, you you read the Bible or you, you read accounts of demons throughout history and in stories and myth and in history and real stories. So what does a demon sound like? A demon sounds like that lady. Call me, call me now. Don't let it, don't let them stop you from killing. I'll help you. I'll kill your baby. Give me your baby. Ah, good grief, lady. What? This is scary stuff. And I mention it. I mean, it's so obvious with her, but you're going to hear this kind of stuff from a lot of people. You know, don't forget who the prince of this world is, okay? <laughs> don't forget, this is a fallen world. There's a lot of bad stuff here. But you're going to hear these same kinds of things from people in the media, from politicians, maybe from people you know. And when you hear it, one, don't be seduced. Two, maybe try to change their mind. Three, flee from that. That is, you were playing with some bad juju, my friends. Now, before we move on from the topic of abortion and get to much more serious topics like the Wu flu, I... I do need to address something because I've, I've seen it a lot in the popular discourse and you're going to hear it a lot more in the coming days as this law is debated. You're going to hear really dumb abortion arguments, okay? You're going to hear really dumb pro-choice arguments. Here, here's one of them. Here's one you're going to hear. Um, hey, pro-lifer, um, you don't want to kill babies in the womb, right? So uh, I guess you're probably against the death penalty then, right? You have to be. No, no, you don't uh, because those are... Those are different issues that involve different moral questions. You, yet you can oppose killing innocent little babies in the womb and still have a more nuanced or complex or opposite view of what ought to be done for convicted criminals. They're different questions. Oh yeah, huh? Yeah, they're different questions. Huh, Mr. Pro-Lifer? Well, so if you're pro-life, uh, you probably support COVID vaccine mandates, don't you? If you're, pro- you're going to be consistent. If you're going to be, uh, no, again, I think I, I thought I just made this clear. Those are different issues involving different moral questions. 
So one can oppose the killing of innocent little babies in the womb and still have some questions and, and some resistance to taking an experimental drug for a cough that for most people is not that bad. You, you actually can, I know it's hard to think. I, I was once, I was on a panel at Politicon and some lib guy, he made these arguments. He was, and I, I couldn't hear him that well. We were in, it was a very uh, echoey, gigantic space. So I couldn't hear all, all he was saying, but you could hear it later on the microphone. And he, he made these arguments. He was saying, uh, you know, well, if you, then you have to oppose the death penalty. No, you don't, buddy. Well, but if you're pro-life, <laughs> if you're pro-life, then you have to support all of these other unassociated issues. You don't. You don't. Pro-life is a slogan. And like all political slogans, it represents an idea, but it cannot convey the fullness of that idea. Just like you might say you're pro-choice, but you do not support the choice of Texans to pass this law to ban abortion because the phrase pro-choice is just is referring to your support for a specific issue, namely killing babies in the womb through abortion. There are many other stupid arguments that you're going to hear with abortion, but don't, one, don't get suckered into them because they're almost not worth your time refuting, but they are easily refuted because we're talking about a specific issue. Don't let them distract you because I think if you talk about that issue in particular, if you focus on what is actually at stake, they don't, they don't have a, a leg to stand on. Now, speaking of this dehumanizing talk, it's really de- the way that the libs talk about abortion is really, it's literally dehumanizing. They're taking a human and pretending he's not a human. But the libs do this generally. Don Lemon just did this on CNN. He said that if you are skeptical of the vaccine, you don't want to get the new experimental drug for the Wu flu, you should not go to the hospital when you get sick. If you're not going to get vaccinated, you don't want to social distance, you don't want to wear a mask, then maybe you don't want to go to the hospital when you get sick. I know that sounds harsh, but you're taking up the space for people who are doing things the right way. If you're not going to lose a few pounds, Chubby, then maybe you don't want to go to the hospital when you get a heart attack, okay? All right? Look, I know that sounds harsh. I know that, hey, look, if you're not going to stop having homosexual sex, then maybe you're not going to want to go to the hospital when you get AIDS. Okay. I know that sounds harsh, but I, Hey, I know that, but look, but, but, but that's what he's saying. That's the argument he's making and it's dehumanizing. And so we can point that out, but (laughs) I think once you get it, you get it. Okay. Once you get it, you get it. And you realize this whole thing is dehumanizing. The whole leftist idea is dehumanizing. It, it tells you to varying degrees that you don't have any particular dignity. You don't, you're not entitled to any particular choice. You do not have really any rights whatsoever that we don't give you, that we, the ruling elite, don't provide you. That is, that is a very dehumanizing idea. You, you hear it from, from various sections of the left. In different ways. Sometimes it's materialist. Sometimes it's Gnostic. Sometimes it's liberal. Sometimes it's socialist. Sometimes it's this, but it's always, it's always dehumanizing. Okay. And on the, on the substantive point, by the way, they're also wrong. It's not even just that they're wrong in principle, like on this COVID thing. They're also wrong on the substantive point. They've been wrong about this virus from the beginning. If you want to hear right opinions, I got a surprise for you. It's not, I guess it's no longer a surprise. In October, our backstage episode is going to be a little bit different. Instead of just tuning in from your home, you'll be able to see us live in person on stage at the famous Ryman Auditorium, one of the most famous venues in the country. 
right here in Nashville, doing what we do best, owning the libs, <laughs> making sense, making making sense of this crazy world. Join me, Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, Jeremy Borg, Matt Walsh, and Andrew Klavan. We're backstage like never before. We have a very special offer for our members starting at 11 a.m. Eastern today. Daily Wire members will get dibs to buy your tickets ahead of general admission. So check your email for an exclusive code you can use to pre-order your tickets. Once you have your code, pre-purchase your tickets ahead of everyone else at dailywire.com slash Ryman, R-Y-M-A-N. If you're not a member, then you can join today at dailywire.com slash subscribe to get your choice of seats or wait until tickets go on sale everywhere tomorrow. Friday, September 3rd, check your email. Make sure you don't miss out. I very much look forward to seeing you all there. We'll be right back with a lot more. Joe Rogan got COVID. Joe Rogan, that, oh, that anti-vax, misinformer, idiot Stooge Rogan. <laughs> Serves him right. He got COVID. When are we going to his funeral? Oh, he's fine. He's completely fine. Here he is. I got up in the morning, got tested, and turns out I got COVID. So we immediately threw the kitchen sink at it. All kinds of meds, monoclonal antibodies, uh, ivermectin, Z-Pak, uh, prednisone, everything. Uh, and I also got an NAD drip and a vitamin drip. And I did that three days in a row. And so here we are on Wednesday and I feel great. I really only had one bad day. Sunday sucked, but Monday was better. Tuesday felt better than Monday, and today I feel good. I actually feel pretty good. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is we have to move Friday, the Friday show in Nashville. That's too bad. That's, I actually didn't realize he was in Nashville. Otherwise, I might have tried to go see him. But so that's too bad. He can't. He can't play in Nashville. But uh, he's he's fine. And I I saw people tweeting about this yesterday. And they said Joe Rogan. Yeah, serves him right. The, that anti-vax, yeah, that'll show you, Joe. That'll teach you. What'll it teach you? I, Joe, it, I, all it taught me was that Joe was right. Joe Rogan, came, by the way, he's not any of those things people called him. He, he came out, he said, look, I'm not anti-vax, but if you're a young, healthy person, I just, as a prudential matter, I don't see why you should go get this vaccine. I just think, you know, it's an experimental drug for a thing that doesn't pose a, a great threat. So you're doing a cost benefit. I don't think it's a, it's a huge deal. And uh, then he, so he, that's how he lived. Then he got the virus and then he took ordinary medicine. And he, he had said for a lot, for a lot of the time, that's kind of like a mild cold. It's not a big deal. They, everyone said it was awful misinformation. Then he gets it. He takes some medicine. It feels like a mild cold. And then he's fine a couple days later. Seems like Joe was right. Seems like Joe. And did you hear what, what he took? Oh, that idiot, that rube. He took, <laughs> can you believe he took, oh, I can't even say it, ivermectin. Why, that's, that's a horse dewormer, don't you know? This is another meme going around the libs right now. They're saying, ivermectin, you'd have to be an idiot to take ivermectin. Ivermectin's not for humans, it's for horses. <laughs> that idiot, he took, an, he took a horse dewormer. Uh, ivermectin <laughs> is, is not for horses. Horses can take it, just like horses can take aspirin. But you wouldn't say aspirin is for horses. There's horse aspirin, okay? So I guess you don't want to take horse aspirin. And there's 
horse ivermectin, but ivermectin is an FDA approved antiviral that has been prescribed to humans for many, many years. The, the person who discovered ivermectin won a Nobel prize. <laughs> okay. This is a, this is a real thing. Not only that, I've got, let's see how long before we get taken off the internet for this one. Ivermectin has been shown in at least some studies to have an effect in suppressing coronavirus. I'm not saying that it's the best way to treat your coronavirus. There are also studies that are a little confused on this that say, well, maybe it actually won't in the uh, levels that you can take it. But here we go. Mayo Clinic, ivermectin. This is how humans should take it. Here's the proper use. It doesn't say proper use, put it in your horses. It says proper use, take it a single dose with a full glass of water, right? It's obviously used by humans for, for a number of conditions. And then here we have from the, the NIH, that, that vaunted institution, the National Institutes of Health, ivermectin, an award-winning drug with expected antiviral activity against COVID-19. This was published October 7th, 2020. Not, not all that long ago. Now, sure, perhaps some data say, well, actually, sure, it can be effective in theory, but in the doses that you'd have to take it, it maybe it won't be. So I'm not sure it's the best thing to do. But don't... <laughs> Don't call Joe Rogan an idiot because he's taking a drug that has been very effective at fighting off things in humans and that has been shown, at least in some experiments, to have antiviral properties specifically against this COVID-19. It's just, it, you are, as you try to, I'm speaking to you, Libs, you hypothetical Lib out there, as you try to preen and, and prattle and, and seem so much smarter than everybody else. You are revealing your own ignorance. The same thing on these, these abortion arguments. When, some, when someone comes up and says, well, you're pro-life. You probably, you probably oppose the death penalty then, right? Mm, you know, what, what they are revealing is that they haven't given two seconds thought to this issue. They are, what, what they are revealing with those glib sorts of statements is how shallow their thinking is. And the same thing is, you're taking ivermectin. What are you, a horse? <laughs> oh, you, you haven't even Googled this drug. Okay. You haven't even given this. You're just repeating some clip of John Oliver or something that you've seen. These people are not to be taken seriously. Speaking of taking care of animals, though, how's this for a segue? Speaking of taking care of animals, uh, the Taliban are apparently taking care of those dogs that were left by the United States upon the evacuation from Afghanistan. So you remember this was the United States left well over 100 Americans, probably many more than that. Uh, the United States left Afghan allies. I've actually spoken to friends of mine who are uh, either in the armed forces or have been in the armed forces who have, have been getting calls from Americans who are stuck or from friends of Americans who are stuck in Afghanistan. So this is a real problem of Christians who are stuck, cha chaplains and priests, of lots of people who are there. So th this is a real problem. But then what everyone freaked out about was that they left the dogs. The service of poor dogs are in Afghanistan. So, okay, it's not a good look. The Taliban though, these PR geniuses, they are, they're PR geniuses, are taking to the Western press to let you know, don't worry, we're taking care of your dogs. The Americans left the dogs to get out from their specific uh, places, but uh, our teams and our officials called the in charge of the, those dogs and uh, today uh, they came to report and they are trying to uh, collect the dogs and they are trying to um, facilitate for them and uh, what they need to give them. Is, there, uh, is they alive and how many are they? Um, particularly, I, I cannot give you a specific number, but they are alive and uh, from the beginning when we come to the front line, front door of the airport, 
we were in, in, uh, we were in touch with the uh, in charge of the dog and they are working and they are uh, feeding the dogs and uh, I think there's no problem. And there's no problem. This is good news, right? This is, I, I hate that I have, the, the, the Taliban have been very good about this from the beginning. They've been very good at their propaganda and the West has not been. So they held that press conference when they took over the presidential palace in Kabul. Joe Biden wouldn't hold a press conference. So you're seeing here, you're saying, oh my gosh, the Taliban is giving greater transparency to the press and the people than the White House is. Then the Taliban is asked about freedom of speech. They say, you know, you in the West like to talk about freedom of speech. What about Facebook? Facebook censoring lots and lots of your people, including the duly elected president, for goodness sakes, on January 7th. Ooh, yeah, you can't really talk about that. And now the West, we can't even take care of our own service dogs. Don't worry, the Taliban's taking care of it. So if you point this out, if you point out any criticisms of the West, any of the Western occupation of Afghanistan, of the Afghan National Army, quote unquote, that did not last as an army for very long, that had a lot of problems of its own, including widespread sexual abuse, including ghost troops, ghost soldiers who didn't even exist at all. They were just, it was just a, a scam to be paid by the West and, and pass it out to various tribal leaders and warlords and, and corrupt officials. If you, if you point out any of this, the, the theft, the fragging, all of that, now apparently you're a white supremacist. According to CNN, according to CNN, quote, white supremacist praise of the Taliban takeover concerns U.S. officials. Okay. Now there's the absurdity on its face that white supremacists are, are exactly the cheerleaders of the Taliban, right? I don't know many white supremacists who are supportive of Middle Eastern, non-white caliphates. Okay. So I think probably the issue is a little more complicated than that, but even let's just take it right at face value. What they're saying is that white supremacists are totally a real thing. It's totally a real big problem in America, the white supremacy. Okay. And the white supremacists are cheering on the Taliban who took over Afghanistan. And that's concerning U.S. officials who gave the country to the Taliban. So that the, the White House officials, not just this administration, but the previous one as well, they come to terms with the Taliban and they say, okay, you're going to run Afghanistan from now on. The Afghan, Taliban is now our ally. Don't forget that we're fighting with the Taliban against ISIS. And they're, the, the White House officials are now very concerned that the white supremacists are supportive of the White House's policy. Does that make the White House white supremacists? Does that make the white supremacists White House supremacists? What is it? Who is it? Who started the Taliban? We did. We did. We funded the people who created the Taliban. I'm not saying that that was a horrible decision. I'm not saying that foreign policy doesn't change. I'm not saying it wasn't justified in the 80s against the Soviet Union. But we funded the, the people who started the Taliban through the Afghan Mujahideen freedom fighters. We did it through Pakistan's inter-services intelligence agency. Also, one of our great allies, which created the Taliban, which harbored Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Osama bin Laden, another kind of sort of loose ally in the fight against the Soviet Union. And then the ISI, our great allies, were harboring bin Laden for years. But then they also kind of gave it up. So please, please spare me. I mentioned this earlier on the show a few days ago. Spare me the sanctimony. 
over the allies and the enemies. And they, this is, if you're, if you support the Taliban, you're a white supremacist. The, Joe Biden supports the Taliban. So is he a white supremacist? No, this is just a way of coming after anybody that in any way creates a problem for the increasingly incoherent narrative of the ruling class. It also is being used to make a political enemy and dissident out of anyone who supports the end of the Afghan war. You're not allowed to do that. (laughs) The media do not want you to do that. Meanwhile, we still have these people that were supposed to get out of Afghanistan, right? We've already gotten a lot of Afghans out, but we still have some Americans and some special Afghan allies who who make a good case for why we should get them out, including an interpreter. There was an interpreter who actually rescued Joe Biden and John Kerry and Chuck Hagel some years ago. Their helicopter went down and then this guy helped get them out. And now he's been left behind. And he said, please save me. I'm going to be killed. I'm in hiding with my family. Joe Biden, please get me out of the country. The U.S. still hasn't done it. Jen Psaki comes out and says, don't worry, we will not leave you behind. Afghan interpreter who helped uh, rescue then-Senator Joe Biden when he was stranded 13 years ago in Afghanistan is now in hiding. He told the Wall Street Journal, hello, Mr. President, save me and my family, don't forget me. What's your response to him and why is he and other Afghan allies like him still in the country if the president believes, as he said today, that the mission was an extraordinary success? Well, I would say first, our message to him is thank you for fighting by our side for the last 20 years. Thank you for the role you played in uh, helping a a number of my favorite people out of a snowstorm um, and for all of the work you did. And our commitment is enduring, not just to American citizens, but to our Afghan partners who have fought by our side. And our efforts and our focus right now is, as you heard General McKenzie say and others say over the last 24 hours, is to the diplomatic phase. We will get you out. We will honor your service. And we're committed to doing exactly that. I'm sure this is a great comfort to this guy who's stuck in Afghanistan, right? This is a great comfort because Jen Psaki, because the White House is saying they will get you out. Just like they said they would not leave any Americans in Afghanistan before the final withdrawal, except they actually did that. Just like they said Afghanistan would not fall to the Taliban anytime soon, even though it did within a matter of days. Just like they said, just like they said, just like they said. A promise from Joe Biden's White House and a buck 50 would get you a cup of coffee if Joe Biden's inflation did not raise the price of a cup of coffee. Now it's going to be his word plus probably three or four dollars to get you a cup of coffee. It's worth nothing. There is a consequence to incompetence. There is a consequence to not fulfilling your promises. And the consequence is that if I were that guy in Afghanistan, I'd stay in hiding. I'd I'd figure out a plan B because I wouldn't rely on the Biden administration. Most Americans believe Joe Biden should resign. That is a shocking, that is a shocking number. It comes from Rasmussen, which is a right-leaning poll firm, but they've got pretty good numbers. They've got a pretty good record. Rasmussen is saying 52% of Americans want Joe Biden to resign. Only 39% are opposed to him resigning. A full 60% want him impeached. 37% do not want him, him impeached. Furthermore, so that's, that's really bad in and, in and of itself, but then it gets even worse. A full 58% do not believe that Kamala Harris is qualified to be president, and 47% of Americans 
haven't been paying attention. <laughs> now, 40%, oh no, it's, it's even crazier. 40, 47% believe that she's not at all qualified to be president. So I'm sorry, I've got to correct myself. Only 38% have not been paying attention. They think she is qualified. And now this is the best news for Joe Biden because the majority of Americans want him gone and an even greater majority of Americans want him impeached. But Americans are so terrified of Kamala Harris that it probably wouldn't happen. That's really big. As I mentioned earlier, I don't think Joe Biden should be impeached. I don't think he's committed an impeachable offense. I know that these days you can be impeached for, you know, how you take your coffee in the morning. I know that these days the constitutional legal requirements for impeachment have been thrown by the wayside in favor of political considerations. But I'm still standing by the constitution and I still think that there is a legal aspect to impeachment. And so I don't think he's committed a crime, as far as I can tell. The, the one crime he might be committing now is coming out of the incoherence of American foreign policy because we helped to start a terrorist group called the Haqqani Network. It was one of the largest recipients of, of CIA funding during our fight in Afghanistan against the Soviets. The Haqqani Network has, is a terrorist organization, and the United States considers it officially a terrorist organization. And the Haqqani Network, the U.S. official headline is that the Haqqani Network and the Taliban are different. But in reality, they're not. The Haqqani Network has been folded into the Taliban. They're the same thing now. So the United States is allies with the Taliban, but we still consider the Haqqani Network a terrorist organization. And we were just hearing yesterday from, from the White House and the State Department that they very likely will fund the Taliban. They will send foreign aid to the Taliban, which means they'll be funding a terrorist organization, which is a crime. So I get in that way, he may have committed a crime, but otherwise it's just, it's just incompetence. It's just maladministration, which is very bad, but I don't think it's impeachable. And should he resign? I don't, I don't know. I don't want him to. I'm with the people who fear Harris more than Biden. Biden seems to me mostly incompetent. And so when he's handling a withdrawal from Afghanistan, which in principle, I think still many, most Americans support. Uh, even if he bungles it tremendously, I, I just, I mean, that's, that's really awful. Uh, but I'm, I'm not convinced we'd be in a better spot with Kamala Harris. This is really, really bad news for the White House. When your best shot at holding on to political power is that people hate your deputy even more, you're not, you're not in, a, in a terrific position. Meanwhile, the left's PR, generally speaking, is not that great. The Taliban's got great PR. The Democratic Party has pretty bad PR. And actually get, getting back to our first topic today, pro-life and pro-abortion, a guest on MSNBC who was on Al Sharpton's show thought that it would be clever to compare American pro-lifers to suicide bombers. This is a matter of civil rights. Having the right to an abortion is a constitutional right. It's grounded in the right to privacy that is within the Constitution. And I find it really interesting that part of this argument is an argument about, you know, the right to an abortion is not explicitly listed in the Constitution. But you know what? Neither is the right to bear arms. That, the way that we interpret that law is the interpretation of a constitutional provision, the Second Amendment. In this, we are interpreting another con- we're interpreting another constitutional provision. Yet, that's we're not applying that same logic to this situation. I'm not sure where this lady went to law school, but I think she might be misinterpreting the Constitution here because she's saying yes, no. I mean, maybe the right to an abortion, yes, yeah, sure, you can't find it in the Constitution, but you can't find the right to bear keep and bear arms either. 
except you can. <laughs> it's in the Second Amendment, and it's spelled out in exactly those words. <laughs> she, I don't even know what she's trying to say, but the Constitution is quite clear that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Meanwhile, as she acknowledges, there is no right to an abortion. She's saying that the right to an abortion is implied by the general right to privacy that also doesn't exist in the Constitution. Show me the general right to privacy. Where's that? Where's that? Good, good luck interpreting that in the interpreting that in the Constitution. You're not going to find it. Then she goes on to make her final point: We're all like suicide bombers. What it reminds me of, quite honestly, is a suicide bomber. Someone who feels like they have the right and the moral duty to mess up somebody else's life for the greater good. So the pro-lifers were like suicide bombers because you know what a suicide bomber does is a suicide bomber believes that he has the right and the duty to mess up someone else's life for what they perceive to be the greater good like an abortionist, like you're saying to be like a suicide bomber, you have to think that you have the right to mess up someone's life. So what is messing up someone's life? Is messing up someone's life, I guess, preventing someone from killing someone else if that person wants to kill someone else. I guess in a, in a way you could call that messing up someone's life, but uh, I'm going to give you two scenarios. One is you prevent someone from killing another person and that is inconvenient for that other person. So what is a greater example of messing up someone's life, that or killing someone, which, which messes up someone's life more? I think the latter probably does. So this woman, not the brightest bulb in the pack (laughs) on MSNBC with Al Sharpton, also not the sharpest tool in the shed. He doesn't get any Respect. No R-E-S-P-I-C-T, Al Sharpton. Show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. Nor should this woman, because the argument she is making is actually undercutting the point that she, she is trying and failing to make. We've got so much more to get to, but we've got to pause it there. We're going to pause it there on this good news that today, for the first time in a very long time, the, the law got a little bit more just and babies are going to be able to live and they're going to have a life. And this is good stuff. Enjoy the victories while we get them. They are few and far between. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, a holy war breaks out after Texas bans abortion after detection of fetal heartbeat. The Biden administration continues to declare its own heroism while telling Americans that the Taliban might be our friends now. And Don Lemon says if you're unvaccinated, don't go to the hospital if you get sick. 
That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. 